What's up, everyone, and welcome to the ninth episode of The Joshua Perry Show. Of course, I am your host, Joshua Perry, former Buckeye captain, national champion, uh, former NFL player, and current Big Ten Network in 97.1, the fan analyst. Um, this is the podcast where we talk sports, life, and everything else. We're broadcasting on the ZDA Network. Follow at ZDA Network on Twitter for big-time podcasts and great content. Folks, ZDA Network's putting out some really great stuff, so I urge you seriously to check them out. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Columbus-based uh, Revolution Mortgage and Todd Pennington. If you're looking to refinance into a competitive low rate or cash out for debt consolidation or home improvements, now is the time with historically low rates and Todd can help you out. Todd should also be your go-to guy if you're looking to purchase a new home or get out of renting. So contact Todd Pennington at 614-390-9520 or visit revolutionmortgage.com slash tpennington for more info. Revolution Mortgage is an equal housing lender and MLS ID 1686046. All right, folks, this is going to be a great show this time. Not a good show, but a great show. We'll have some college football news and notes lined up for you, and I think you'll appreciate what I have to say about it. Uh, then we'll talk about the Browns' historic start, what I'm seeing, and what I think they can do heading into these next few weeks. Then I've got some GOAT talk. LeBron James has his fourth ring, and I'm here for it. I'll speak about the GOAT's performance and what stood out to me. And then I'm going to get you going with the great Who's Who segment of the Joshua Perry Show. My boy, Kenny Bell, former wide receiver from Nebraska, is going to be on the show, stopped by, shared some really awesome things with us, and I think everybody's going to appreciate what he had to say, not only about his athletic career at Nebraska, his professional career, but also personally. He's a very deep person. He's got a lot of great things to share, and so I'm looking forward to presenting that interview for you. And then once we're finished with that, we'll wrap up with our word of the week this week, and that word is generosity. So, people, let's dive right into it. College football this weekend was really interesting. We had some uh, really good games, Florida, Texas A&M. We had Georgia-Tennessee, which I thought ended up being a pretty good game. I watched Red River, Texas-Oklahoma, uh, because I'm a miserable SOB, and I had to watch that shit show of a game in its entirety start to finish. Uh, and what really stood out to me this week in some of these games? The defense. And specifically, where in the hell is the defense? Um, Alabama had 723 yards on Ole Miss. Ole Miss had 647 yards on Alabama. You know, it, it would be one thing for Alabama to put up that many yards, and typically they don't because they're not, you know, this offensive juggernaut. They, they do well offensively, but they're really a team that has a good offense and a great defense. Um, they put up a ton of yards on Ole Miss, and they can't spell defense right now. Lane Kiffin's team cannot spell defense. I don't know what DJ Durkin is doing over there but they're struggling. But what surprised me is how Ole Miss was able to move the ball and score so many points um, on Alabama. And people have been saying that this is different. Ole Miss is great, and Lane Kiffin's doing a great job with this team, and they can really move the ball, which is fine. But they're not supposed to do that to Alabama. They shouldn't be able to move the ball with such ease. So that really stood out to me. Florida gave up 534 yards to Texas A&M. Um, Texas A&M is a good offense. We've seen them struggle, though. They struggled against Vanderbilt. It's not like uh, they're this team that goes out there and they just put up a ton of points or a ton of yards. Um, they're susceptible. And so it was really interesting to watch Florida's defense do that. Now, uh, I gave Florida's defense some praise last week, and I think it was a little bit premature because the writing had been on the wall about how their defense could struggle throughout this year, and it really was exposed against Texas A&M, which I think has um, an average to slightly above average offense, but nothing elite going on there. Auburn gave up 437 yards, so I believe Arkansas, so that's just a problem in and of itself. LSU, the defending national champions, gave up 586 yards to my guy, my producer, Andrew Zoldan's Missouri team. Uh, really, really struggled. And that stands out for a number of reasons. Obviously, Bo Pelini coming in there is supposed to be a great coordinator. Ed Orgeron was heaping praise on him uh, throughout the offseason, the preseason, talking about what he means to this defense and what he's going to bring and all these other things. And it's just not happening like that. Part of it, I think, is the scheme. He wants to be aggressive. He wants to man it up. And you're susceptible when you run uh, man and you want to press people to having those big explosive plays. But also when you lose as many players as they lost up their defense, it's going to be a learning curve. But still, should not look that bad. 
absolutely wild. Oklahoma, shitty defense, gave up 428 yards to Texas, which is a shame because Texas can't even hardly run the ball. I think Sam Ellinger is a good player, not necessarily a great player. And he's done a, a great job. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But um, this, 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 this isn't like Texas is an elite team or an elite offense. We've seen them struggle. Um, they, they put up points. Um, against bad defenses but I think if they ran into a defense like we've seen out of the Big Ten traditionally I think if they ran into a defense like Georgia has um, they would struggle mightily and so as well to see on the flip side of that game Texas gave up 469 uh, yards to Oklahoma which the reality of the situation for that is uh, Spencer Rattler is not very good right now he struggles He's not what Lincoln Riley is typically used to working with. He turns the ball over. He makes erratic decisions. I don't think that he has a full grasp of this offense, and he doesn't need to right now because he's still a very young player. Um, but to watch Texas give up so many yards to an offense that isn't the level that they would typically be at was astounding to me. And they brought in my guy, Chris Ash. I love him to death to try to turn that defense around, and he has not uh, let his defense – to the performance that I think that he wants them to have, which I, I know that uh, Chris Ash is capable of, but it's the way that they're structured. I don't know. They'll be able to do it. So in a short phrase, it's out of hand what's going on defensively. There are too many points being given up. There are too many yards being given up. And honestly, it's not like these teams are really giving up these performances to elite quarterbacks and running backs who are going to be Heisman Trophy candidates. They're doing it to guys that are good college players, but they're not necessarily great college players. And I was really surprised at first because when you come into a young season, the defenses are typically the first thing to go right. Teams struggle offensively. They're out of rhythm. They have mechanical issues in terms of snap counts and everything else. They have substitution issues in terms of personnel groupings. The coaches are still trying to get in a rhythm calling plays. And so you see offenses maybe stall out and defenses have some success early on, and that's just not the case. And so I'm really trying to do a little bit of thinking, why is this happening? Why do defenses look so bad so early on in the season? And then I started to connect some of the dots. And a lot of what we're seeing outside of putrid tackling, because these teams, a lot of them are struggling to, to tackle. They're not wrapping up. The first guy making contact typically isn't the first guy bringing somebody down, that's an issue in and of itself. As a former defender, I find it really hard to watch. But the reality of what's going on is offensive players are getting wide ass open a lot of times. Or if they're a running back, not a receiver, they are hitting holes that you could drive a Mack truck through. And there is no defense that is designed for that to happen. There's no defense where there's a coverage that is designed for somebody to be wide ass open, scot-free. There is no run front that is designed for somebody to be able to run straight through the defense. Now, it's not to say that there aren't coverages that are soft and that will allow players to gain yardage or run fronts that aren't very stout. That will allow a player to maybe get some wiggle. But the reality of the situation there is that those defenses where they're soft spots, you're supposed to be able to rally to it, make the tackle, and get off the field. Same thing with the defenses that are maybe strong run fronts. You're supposed to have players that are able to converge on the ball, whether that's a safety, something going on in the back end. Players aren't supposed to just streak through their unimpeded and score touchdowns and that's what we're seeing and so I'm really trying to figure out what's going on and it, it, it kind of struck me is the these offensive coordinators are attacking defenses right now at their structural weak points every defense structurally has weak points you know whether it's cover two we've seen where the middle of the field sometimes that linebacker can't keep up and you see somebody streaking down through there it's a bad run front you're not running cover two against a team that has a, a really good offensive line that's a heavy running team. Uh, it's just really soft up there. When we're watching some of these cover three teams, we see the seven cuts uh, flag route for, for some of the people that are doing the old school deal. We see the flood routes where they're flooding the flats, um, getting levels out there where those teams struggle with those. We see in man-to-man -man the pick routes, all the rubs, everything else. Like Structurally, there are some things that hurt, but we see offensive coordinators now really attacking those structural points. And they're doing it a bunch of different ways. And these guys are gurus. They are fantastic at what they do. And so they've been sitting back this whole COVID uh, little whatever where their guys weren't in the building and they had a clicker in one hand and they had a daggone marker. They had their little marker in the other hand. And they're, they're fast forward, rewinding the tape, trying to see what these defenses are running 
And all the while, they're standing up at the grease board with the marker in the other hand trying to figure out what schemes they're going to do, what shifts, what motions, what formations, what they're, what they're going to do pre-snap and then what they're going to do post-snap. You know, are they going to have multiple pullers coming over the edge if it's a run play? Are they going to do some type of misdirection where they have heavy flow going one way and the ball's really coming back counteraction the other way? In the pass game, what kind of route combinations are they putting? Are they doing flood routes where they have too many guys in one zone? Are they trying to get somebody to bite down underneath on the levels where they have somebody streaking deeper? Are they doing mesh routes, rub routes, anything to try to get man-to-man -man mixed up? And we're seeing how the gurus are doing everything in their power to make it easy on the players, which are great athletes nowadays on offense, to make the plays. And it's fantastic. I've seen so many route combinations that I'm sitting back watching and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can understand how a defense would have trouble passing that route combination off. Or, oh, okay, I've never really seen them run uh, that route combination that way before. And it's, it's really working right now. So the defense has got to play catch up a little bit. Um, it's it's going to be unique as we move forward, but that's something I want everybody to watch out for is offenses are getting a little bit more exotic and defenses are trying to play catch up to that right now. I want to fast forward. I want to look at some NFL. Really specifically, I want to talk about the Browns. Promised my guy Zolden, our producer, that I was going to uh, do a little breakdown on these guys because they're off to a historic start. I think it's a 4-1 start. First time they've done that since 1994. Uh, that was the year I was born, folks. I was born in 94, so this has been a long time coming. Uh, but how did we get here? I guess that's a big question that people are wondering about because there were some expectations this year. I think people were excited about Kevin Stefanski coming in with his new offense. They were excited about Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, after having maybe a little bit of a down year, how is he going to bounce back and recover? you got Odell. You've got uh, Landry, and you've got a stable of running backs who do a great job. Um, and, and we were wondering, how are we going to do this? And so how did we get here? Essentially, to me, I think it's favorable schedule, number one, starting off. Uh, but number two, some really, really good improvements along the way. Essentially, the first game that we saw against the Ravens was abysmal. Baker Mayfield did not look like himself. He looked extremely uncomfortable. He looked like he lacked confidence totally. Um, defense couldn't tackle a soul. And they really had no answers for Lamar Jackson to the tune of about 275 yards passing, which we know if Lamar is getting off like that, throwing the ball, it's going to be a long day for the defense. And eventually they lost big in that game. I think the score was 38 to six. Um, and just for anybody who's curious, it is really hard to lose by a lot of points in the NFL because the way the NFL is set up is teams aren't supposed to be that much better than one another. So we fast forward to week two. They're playing on a Thursday night against the Bengals. That was a must-win game, in my opinion, for Cleveland. Uh, they could not lose that game. They were facing a rookie quarterback. They had an offense they were going up against. They had zero type of run game. And let's be honest about the Bengals' defense. Some of those players are ass, and I think their scheme is ass as well. They ended up winning that game by five. Um, we saw a little bit more to the offense in terms of the scheme and what they were trying to achieve wasn't necessarily the all-star performance. I think the defense still lagged behind, but it was a W and it got them on track. Third week, faced off against Washington. Again, another team I believe they absolutely had to be. Dwayne Haskins playing quarterback. He's since been benched. And he was tossing out turnovers like Santa with gifts on Christmas Eve. Did not perform very well. Uh, give some credit to Cleveland's defense for forcing some of those turnovers. But also, when you have an erratic quarterback, that's the expectation they had to take advantage of it. Um, I guess the, the other thing, too, in that game was who was going to stop Baker and that offense that week? I, I think that Washington's defense is, um, you know, they had Chase Young who went out with an injury. They had Matt Ioannidis on that defensive front for, for Washington who went out with an injury as well. And so as they started to thin out, the question became who was going to stop them uh, with that defense against Baker and some of the weapons on offense? And Washington definitely hung around in that game. But the reality of the situation, the Browns, held their own. They sealed the deal. They ran the ball really well in that fourth quarter to really drown that game out. Um, and we started to, to gain some, some confidence in that philosophy that they had of they were going to run some play action and they were going to get the tight ends involved in the pass game. They were going to take their shots down the field, but really it was going to be that run game that they were going to rely on. Um, and it really made us feel good. Week four against Dallas, shootout. No defense was needed here for either team. All we needed was that heavy dose of Baker Mayfield. We needed a little bit of Jarvis Landry, and we got Odell doing his thing. And uh, you capped that game off with Denzel Ward interception at the end to really seal the deal. And that really had us having the conversation now of, is this Browns team for real? Dallas, not great on defense. 
But the reality of the situation was that Cleveland held their own. They had really creative offense. It was inventive. It was exciting. And defensively, when they needed to make a play at the end, they were able to come up with it. That's a trait that you want to have as a football team. And then finally, we get to last Sunday. And these cats came out in a game that, in my mind, wasn't necessarily a must-win game. And they did the damn thing. Uh, the reality is they, much, they looked much better on defense. I thought they were very poised. I thought they were disciplined. I thought they looked very comfortable defensively. Um, to me, this Cleveland team is really coming around. And when you look forward to the next couple of weeks, they got the Steelers, they got the Bengals, and they've got the Raiders. And I only think that one of those games really is a must win. That game against Cincinnati, I think, is a game they have to win. Um, I think they'll be able to pull out two of those games. I think they will beat one of the Steelers and the Raiders. They don't have to win all three. Um, but even just winning the one game, that's a must win. I think they're still um, they're, they're still right on track because you look at the games they have after that. They have the Texans who uh, won the first game of the, their season on Sunday. Um, I don't think they're very good. I think that Cleveland can take them. They've got the Eagles again, a team that struggled this year, and they've got the Jaguars who I think that they can handle as well. Um, so if, they, if they're able to go on this little run here and they, they really only lose two games in the next five or six, you're looking at a team that is a, a legitimate playoff team that could make some noise. And I'm really excited to see if they, they can continue this trajectory that they're on because it's been amazing thus far what they've been able to do. And the reality of the situation is we had some expectations, but I think right now we can really start to get excited because they're starting to look like a team that can really compete. So I want to jump off of this NFL and jump on to my guy, LeBron James. He is the GOAT. We're not going to have this argument. Anybody that wants to, to argue with me, just save your tweets. I'm not even going to answer. I'm not responding to them. It's, it's clear to me. I don't care. Oh, you didn't watch Jordan. You were too young. Doesn't matter. He's the GOAT in my mind. And the things that he's doing right now in his mid-30s are absolutely remarkable. When you just look at a pure athleticism standpoint, it's crazy. We're still seeing the acrobatic dunks. We're seeing the strong plays around the basket, the and ones. We're seeing the chase down blocks. But the other thing he's done is he's refined his game. Now he understands when to take those chances defensively and when to kind of let it go and back off. We see that his outside game and his ball handling has become much better. He can shoot the three ball, and we're confident in his ability to do that. He brings the ball up the court running point because his ball handling is that much better. But we also see him go down low into the block when he needs to. He does everything, and it's absolutely fantastic. Now, I want to go through some of these stats because I think they're important as uh, in, in the GOAT conversation and why I think LeBron is the greatest to ever play the game of basketball. So he averaged about 30-12-8 and eight through the final series. It's nearly a triple-double. Um, and <laughs> I don't know, like, we sit back and we watch some of these athletes do some remarkable feats, so we forget how hard it is to do those things. A triple-double is extremely hard to accomplish. Um, and, and he averaged nearly a triple-double throughout the finals. It's crazy when you think about that. And speaking of triple-doubles, he has 11 in the NBA Finals total, which is most in NBA history. Uh, so the man has done it not only uh, this time around, but he's done it with consistency throughout his career to the point where he is the, the only one who's done it that many times. And I think Magic Johnson is second behind him in finals triple doubles with eight. So the margin's really not that close. Um, he averaged 25-plus points per game throughout the playoffs. Uh, he's the only player in NBA history to do so with three championship winning franchises, uh, really important stuff there. But let me leave you with this. He's now joined Michael Jordan being the only players with four-plus finals MVPs and four-plus regular season MVPs. But this finals MVP makes LeBron the first player to do it with three different franchises. He's the greatest of all time. I'm really not trying to hear it. Oh, Jordan did it with all the same team, and he wasn't chasing championships in this, that, and the third. No, no, he really wasn't. But at the same time, he had all the pieces that he needed right there. You know, he had Scotty, he had Dennis, he had Steve Kerr. I mean, he had all the guys who were able to, to supplement what he was doing. Um, the fact of the matter is LeBron had AD with him, and AD had an outstanding final series, historic in a way, too, for him. Uh, but when you look at that roster and the depth that they have thereafter, they had a whole bunch of names. Uh, but those guys aren't guys who are, who are going to go out there and be real contributors the same way that I think that the Bulls team had guys. I mean, they had six men of the year. Um, you know, like it, it was different what they were working with. So for me, absolutely, LeBron's the GOAT. You're in this four championship ring. I'm super excited about it. 
Um, you know, not a Lakers fan, but I'm a LeBron fan. Followed him his whole career. I've got the the St. Vincent St. Mary, um, you know, ripoff fake jersey uh, just because I like LeBron that much. And I'm super excited about his fourth championship ring. So, LeBron, if you ever hear this, proud of you, man. Really, uh, really enjoyed watching this. So, we'll transition into my who's who segment of the Joshua Perry show. We got my guy, Kenny Bell. Talked about him a little bit at the top of the show. Uh, fantastic interview you guys are going to want to listen to. But before we get to that, I've got a message here from my people at Manscaped. We've got some big news, and it's that we've partnered with Manscaped. Everyone's got the story from when you cut your balls from trying to trim. Well, that problem is gone now thanks to Manscaped. They've redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. From the LED light to 90-minute battery, to the cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. This is the premium, premium electric trimmer. And I'm also gonna save you guys a little bit of money. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code OSU20 at manscaped.com. Make your testies their besties. Trust me, it's legit folks. I've got the trimmer, it's fantastic. I actually turned it on. That light is great uh, if you're in a low light situation. Or if you're in a highlight situation, it doesn't matter. Um, and we got a whole bunch of other stuff in there. We got some ball deodorant. We got a ball toner. It's fantastic. You folks are going to want to try this out. Again, that's manscaped.com, code OSU20, so you can get some really cool stuff, 20% off, free shipping. Check it out. And we'll be back after our interview. All right. And on the who's who of the Joshua Perry show, we have – a good friend of mine, I guess a fast friend, known him not entirely too long, but we've hit it off. Kenny Bell, former Nebraska wide receiver, former NFL player, currently contributing with the Big Ten Network, among a bunch of other cool stuff he's got going on. How you doing, KB? Doing well, brother. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like, I'll be talking to my lady or my family, talking about, like, the replies in our show, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, my boy, JP. And they're like, who is this Joshua Perry? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, we've been working together doing these shows. He graduated from Ohio State. And they're like, Ohio State played linebacker. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny to explain the situation, but it, it's been it's been very dope. No, it is funny. Like I I find myself in the same scenario. I'm like, oh yeah, my guy Kenny. And they're like, if he's your guy, how come I never heard about him before? I'm like, yeah. well, <laughs> like we we just became boys, but like we are definitely boys. So yeah, no, um, no, it's gonna be fun. We got some cool stuff going on too for BTN this year. I don't want to uh, put too much information out entirely too early, but I think we've got a really cool mix coming together. Obviously, we've been doing some stuff with the digital team on social media, um, and I think the folks have really been enjoying that. I know we have, so I'm looking forward as this season develops in a shortened year, um, what we can do together there. But uh, I appreciate you spending some time. I wanted to bring you in because I feel like you have, uh, first off, you're cool as heck, but you have a really unique story. I feel like your career at Nebraska was awesome. Um, and I, I just kind of I want to share some of that with the people. So we'll start from the beginning. When did you start playing football? And when did you know that you were in love with the game? Man, I probably my first year of tackle football was six here in Colorado. And I loved football forever. I mean, since I was two years old, I wanted to play football. My dad played in the league, so he played for the Broncos. I'm Kenny Bell Jr. Uh, my dad played at Boston College with Doug Flutie, and then he played in Denver with uh, John Elway. So I always loved football. My family's always been a football family. Uh, started right when I was six and played, obviously, until, you know, 2019. So it was, uh, it was honestly the dream come true. I, could, I couldn't complain one minute. I, I knew I wanted to play, and that's what my mindset was since I was a kid. Now, it's interesting hearing that because I feel like a lot of us have that similar mindset. I started playing tackle football when I was nine years old. And so I've, I played football more falls in my life than I haven't played football up to this point. Um, yeah. And you you didn't get to watch your dad play. He was finished playing before you were born, right? Yeah, my dad, my dad played. I was too young. He finished his uh, career in the World League with the Birmingham Fire. Okay. Similar like how I finished my – uh, career with in the Alliance of American Football, you know, with Salt Lake City it was like that kind of thing. So I, I never got to watch him play. Um, have you ever seen the old highlights of your dad? Oh yeah. <laughs> what do you say to him? I make fun of him for being slow. 
you know, that sounds like you. That's yeah, you know, I'm always you got to make fun of pops <laughs> for playing in the '80s. You know, obviously we stand on those guys' shoulders. We love them. Um, they we wouldn't be the game wouldn't even be close to where it's at right now without them. But when it comes to giving the old man a hard time, I you know I got to do it. No, you actually absolutely have to. You know, my dad obviously never played at that high of a level, but um, he was a good athlete in his own right, and he's done well in other arenas. So anytime I can try to, you know, get a little dig in and get a jab yeah. in on my old, old, old man, I try to get it in. Um, <laughs> so you are a kid from Colorado. Yep. You ended up going to Nebraska. What was the recruitment process like for you? It was interesting, you know, because people in Boulder were furious. And, you know, I was born I was born and raised here in Colorado. I grew up in Boulder. Um, I grew up going to Buffs camps, you know. Um, some of my – my mother was a Buff. Uh, my, some of my closest friends and family coached for the Buffs, you know, Eric B. Enemy, the Embry family. Those are all uh, – the Tharp family, the, aide, the athletic director at the time growing up, were all really good friends of mine. So, I wanted – you know, I wanted to be a Buff. I did. And I went to Fairview High School, which is right down the street from CU. And I mean, when I say down the street, I mean like half a mile, one mile. Um, and the bus didn't, didn't really recruit me. Um, I, I got offered, and Dan Hawkins was the coach at the time. And he didn't, you know, they never came to any of my games. And where, where Folsom Field sits, where I played my high school games, is like at the bottom of the hill of Folsom mm -hmm. Field. Um, so I never really – I just didn't feel the love from, uh, from the bus. And – I was getting recruited by Nebraska at the time and the wide receivers coach was at every game. And when the football season ended, he came to my basketball games. Um, Bo Pelini came and visited myself and my family numerous times. So that, that love, like with how my family operates, you know, we operate in relationships and Nebraska built a great relationship with myself and my family through that recruiting process. So it was really uh, no question for me. No, it's, I think that's the biggest thing about recruiting is, um, you know, it's it's almost like speed dating in a lot of ways, but as much as you can make that connection, you get face-to-face -face with people, um, that's what really sells it. Because I, I feel like a lot of these universities, you know, there, there are obviously differences, but many of them can do the same things for a young man. It's the relationship that I feel like can really make the difference. You said you played basketball in high school. Did you play any other sports? I So my freshman year, I was still playing like everything I could, right? I was playing baseball, lacrosse, um, and I ran track and after my freshman year, I was like, all right, I actually want to play football now, like just focus on football. So my sophomore and junior year, I only played football. Uh, and then I got my offers and stuff in my senior year after I committed to Nebraska, I decided, you know, this was back before social media and that kind of stuff. So before I could like, I wanted to prove I was staying in shape. You know, I couldn't post my workouts like with my trainer on my right. IG, like kids. <laughs> So I was like, all right, I'm going to play basketball and then I'm going to run track to prove to Nebraska that I'm like working out and staying in shape while I'm still in school. So that's why I went back to basketball and track my senior year in high school. Nice. Um, so you talked about how Buffs fans were kind of pissed that you went to Nebraska. I'm sure you had a host of other offers from different schools. Was there any bit of a, um, I don't know, trying to figure out like a, stick it to them type of reason that you would choose Nebraska over maybe some of the other schools that you had offers from, or was it genuinely you felt like Nebraska was the best place for you to succeed? Yeah, I really, I did feel that way. Uh, I felt like Nebraska was still close, of, close of enough uh, to home for me that like, yeah, I, I wouldn't get too homesick. You know, that's just how I was. I've always loved Colorado. I've been very prideful of where I'm from and being close to family. So it allowed me to be close to my family. And at the same time, it offered me something that I had never seen before in a football program, right? I'm from Colorado where Saturdays, if it's Saturday and it's beautiful outside, like people are hiking, biking, you know, they're out. No one goes to football games. You know, like if I'm being honest in Boulder, that culture of football doesn't exist. So when I got to Nebraska and it was – all things football, right? Like the university is um, uh, the mecca of, you know, the state. So that environment, you know, just wrapped me in. I couldn't believe, you know, people loved football that much. So that was that thing. That was incredibly enticing at, at 18 years old. Definitely. And um, I, the reason I asked that question is because I got a little bit of pettiness in me. So, you know, like if I wouldn't have gotten offered by Ohio State, I had other schools that I would have gone to. 
but I definitely would have flirted with Michigan just to be petty. Um, <laughs> so I, I ask you that question just out of that petty mindset. Yeah. But my next question was actually going to be about playing in Lincoln. And um, like you said, it's, it's very much a college town. Obviously, you've got um, Omaha that's not very far away. And so you've got big city there. But Lincoln is Nebraska. Like that is the college town. You talk about fans being enthusiastic. There's a, a storied history there of tons of success and great players. And I'm wondering, because I've never actually been on that campus before, um, never played a game there, what it was truly like to be a part of that program and to play there on Saturdays. And it was it was probably the biggest accomplishment of my life, uh, the best four years of my life. You know, the, the league was fun and everything, but my time spent in Nebraska, the relationships I developed, the, the network, um, that I'm incredibly grateful to have access to because of my time there uh, is really unlike anything other or anything else in the country. You know, there's a lot of major universities, you know, that these guys, you know, have great careers at. And then, you know, they, the fans and the university take care of those guys from opportunities um, long after their playing days are over. And Nebraska is the pinnacle of that. You know, you look around how many guys still are in the Lincoln, you know, um, living off of opportunities that they developed through their college days. You know, that's not, that's not a detriment to the state. I think that is what makes the, uh, the fandom and the culture there so, so powerful. It's really interesting you say that uh, because as a guy who comes from a, a university culture that's strong like that, and there's a ton of pride and there's a ton of history, a lot of our guys end up coming back to Columbus or they'll at least make their way back to spend time at games and to go back through the right. facility. And one thing that I found interesting when I was in the league is I would talk to certain players from other schools and they would say that they never went back to campus. Once yeah, they left, they that was the last time. Yeah. And it's so strange hearing that because I know the pride that I have. And then I hear about your experience too. And I just, I couldn't imagine having any other experience where you feel like you don't want to go back to your school. Yeah. I could never imagine. I, I literally, I, I feel terrible for guys like that. I'm like, you guys should come to Lincoln with me every chance you get then. Cause I, <laughs> I love Nebraska. <laughs> I, I love, I love the people. I love game days. Um, I, I, I try and visit Nebraska as much as I can, not even just for football season. Like I like the volleyball team is fun to watch. They got a great wrestling program. Uh, just the, the culture there is phenomenal when it comes to sports and surrounding that university. So I'm, I'm extremely thankful for my time there. No, definitely. And I can, I can definitely tell that about you. Um, what was it like playing for Bo? You know, I think we've all kind of seen, you know, the, the, uh, the veins popping out of the neck yeah. and, and the face turning beet red on TV. What was it like being in this program? I loved playing for Bo. Um, obviously there was days that I was just like, man, this is brutal. Like, cause you know, there's, there's no BS. There's not really much negotiation until you get older and you get like, you know, when you're young, yep. he's just going to rip you, but he does it in a way that, um, it's to build character. You know what I mean? At, at 18, 19, I can definitely say I needed to be yelled at like that. You know, you think you're King Crap of Turd Mountain, you know, walking around campus at 18, 19. You need to be knocked down a notch. And that's not necessarily for everyone. I'm not saying, like, everybody needs that. But I know our team did, and we responded to it well. And I know when you go back and look at those years spent, uh, those, th those guys – I can't speak for every single guy, but a majority of those guys will definitely go to bat for Bo because they know he had our uh, best interest in mind. So it was tough. It was without a doubt tough. Uh, but I loved, I loved that coach, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade him for the world. It's so interesting because um, that's that's kind of what happens. Like we see from the outside that he was a hard coach, and he would be laying into guys, and he'd be tearing up officials. Um, I played for a guy who was a very hard line coach like that too. You know, he was very expressive. Um, and it, it wasn't, it's, it's not an easy program. It wasn't a program where I feel like everyone could thrive. But you see the players that came out of there and um, they did the things that they were asked to do. They would go to bat any day for my coach. And, and it's the same thing that you said. You go to bat. And it's really those experiences. Like, I, I remember an interaction I had with Urban the first week I was on campus. And I feel like that defined my career at Ohio State and it was because of direct conversation and honesty and I don't know how many guys necessarily get that um how much is spending that time five years in that program around somebody like that shaped and molded how you behave and how you conduct business today 
it, I mean, it's the foundation of my character, I would say, right? Um, at, at, in high school, I'm in high school, I feel like high school kids are still figuring stuff out. And I, again, I'm not generalizing. There's a, there's plenty of 16, 17, 18 year old kids that have a great head on their shoulder and don't need um, that kind of structure at the time of my life. I most certainly did. Right. So um, learning, learning there's consequences to your actions. Most importantly, uh, learning about um, perception, taking care of your character, you know, those things matter in life. So that those were lessons that we learned through Bo, through football, obviously. But those were lessons learned that I still hold true today. Like it, it's simple stuff like being five minutes early to a meeting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and not being Definitely. two minutes late. Uh, some people just don't don't think like that. And there's not I'm not do your thing. You know that's that's not uh, what I'm saying. You're in the wrong. But in terms of the question being, how much has it did it mold me? I mean, really, it's the foundation of the man I am today, I, w- I would say. I agree with that. And it's it's crazy, too, because, like, I, I think my parents are, are they're wonderful people, and they, they've impacted me profoundly. But, like, outside of my parents, I would say that the coaches I had were the most impactful people on my life. And to your point, it was the enhanced accountability that really did it for me. Right. It was the fact that there's there's a consequence if you weren't five minutes early to the meeting. It's not just something that people say there's, there was right. a, a like something happens at the end of that. If, if you're not doing what yeah. you're supposed to be doing um, and that accountability is absolutely huge. Um, yeah, I want to dive into. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You, made, you just made a good yeah. point. Just like, uh, yeah, not to take away from my family. I got a credible family that I'm thankful for that have taught me numerous lessons, but it, it's a good point. Like the discipline side or the discipline side of being a man you know, we are gone from the fa- or from the house from 18 to 22. So, yep. I mean, you're talking about critical life lessons that you either learn or miss out on. For sure. Um, I want to, I want to dive into some of your career accolades here. Cause I was going through and I was looking it up and I'm like, damn, my dude was a baller. So <laughs> you're a record setter across the board while you were there led in receptions for four years. The first Husker to ever do that. Uh, you left as number one in receptions and receiving yards and number one in offensive career starts. When I say that to you, what goes through your head? It's all kind of a flash, you know, because that, that, sounds, that sounds right. Um, <laughs> I kind of <laughs> forgot about the starts. That, I think that might be my most proud. Sure. Uh, I think I played more. Ability. Yeah, I think I played more downs and more minutes than any Husker in history. Uh, that's wild yeah that at that point that's crazy um especially because i get i get criticized for being soft a lot (laughs) so so wait a minute because let's let's talk about that i don't know how in the hell anybody's gonna call you soft because i watched you attempt murder on a man during a football (laughs) game the big 10 championship game what was that 2012 12 yeah against wisconsin and that was against wisconsin yeah. And you attempted to take the life of another man. <laughs> you put him in the dirt. I wasn't trying to take his life. I was just playing. Ah, that's like, it, like it was me. whistle to whistle. <laughs> he was going to tackle. No, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a legit football play, but at, I mean, at there, that time, there was it was. some bad intentions behind it. Yeah, at that time it was. But, at, you know, it, it, was, it was a legal football play. But, like, any time back then, when I was going across, if I was running dig at, at 10 yards, right, like I knew – if if I get left out, it's not no one's gonna lay up on me, you know. They're I'm gonna get smoked. So I was just playing whistle whistle, you know. I thought when I was in college, I think I was honestly probably known more as a blocking receiver than I was um, anything else, you know. I, we had to block a lot, and it's something I took pride in. So um, no complaints here. I was about to say, I mean, you've got the size too. You're you were a, a bigger wide receiver in terms of being able to block, just you know, like a a, a bigger frame type of guy. So I get that, but. Um, it's it's always interesting hearing some of the criticisms of people, and then it's like, okay, but do you turn on the tape? Because a guy who's willing to block the way that you did, not just that one big hit that you had, but like consistently in an offense that asked you to do so, somebody who's willing to go across the middle of the field, because I know wide receivers personally that would tell the coach that they're not running that route. Oh yeah, like they're 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 like, coach, I'm not going in there, and if he throws in, it's not on target. I'm not going up to get it. Like you see the interceptions in games, honestly. Um, where the guy doesn't fight for the ball in those types of situations. Oh, you know um, it's coming. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, like, 
Yeah. You would stand in there and, and you would be the guy who would do all that kind of stuff. It's so crazy the criticisms that you hear sometimes because people literally don't turn on the games. Like yeah. from from being in this, and you're gonna you're gonna notice it the more time you spend in media. There are a lot of media members that don't watch the games. They yeah, don't watch it. And then like, they just they make they just whatever their opinion is, that's how they yeah. feel. I've always wanted to do that, you know what I mean? Like uh really like genuinely get someone's opinion and then say, all right, because I don't mind, like, I don't mind if you have an opinion, right? But don't spit uh, headline facts at me. Give me, right, like, give me substance. Why do you think that yes. way? I asked, uh, I asked a reporter in Nebraska the other day that was talking about uh, how the athletic play in the NBA has declined since Jordan years. And I was, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that right now, right? But my question was like, where is the the data right that supports this kind of thinking because I'm genuinely curious your thoughts are athletic ability has declined in 30 years okay <laughs> if that's your case I don't like I would just enlighten me you know what I mean teach me but, something I don't, that I'm not seeing so again like I and we're we definitely won't go down this rabbit hole because we can spend a long time on it but I'll <laughs> say like you got seven footers who step outside you know they play around the three-point arc and it's not just offensively. They play defense out there, too. You got LeBron James, who is, like, one of the, the, the most impressive physical specimens to ever walk the earth, who's playing at a, an aggressively high level as he's aging. And somebody would have the nerve to make a comment like that. It's just crazy to me. It, it, like, we, there's DNs in the NFL that are 6'6", 6'7", 280 that run 4'4". Four yeah. five, yeah. Like how? What in your mind thinks? What? How do you think that the game is declined? I mean, you you People made a joke are, earlier. Like you you watched tape of your dad playing in the eighties, and you joked about how he was slow. Yeah. But like that was the af the athletes didn't have the same access to the nutrition, the training. Like training, we learned so everything. much about the human body in thirty years alone that would enhance people's athletic ability just based off of knowledge. JP, just think about how these kids are training now like i'm looking at the i was watching zion like in high school and kids are throwing windmills through the legs like man no one was doing that when we were in school in no, high no. school i didn't know no, no. i didn't know athletes like that and i'm it's not crazy. saying they didn't maybe exist but the, the training and the knowledge is clearly taking these dudes to another level because i mean look at a guy a perfect example we talk about a big 10 guy look at chase young yeah like, chase young is For real. a freak of nature man well and, then he, it's, and he's just bullying people already as a rookie it's it's the point of uh, chase young a 270 pound defensive end that has a six-pack those guys didn't used to exist where was that guy in 1982 <laughs> no for real those guys didn't used to exist that's what like <laughs> i don't know that human like, being we... that human being did not exist didn't but, exist so it's crazy and and they i guess they didn't exist in the abundance that they do today too. Cause Chase isn't the only guy looking oh. like that. JJ Watt is another guy who looks like he's, 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 he's Bosa, even bigger than the Bosa's the Watts yeah. uh, dude, like DeMarcus Ware. I know he's retired, but like yes. those kind of Julius peppers, like those dudes were yeah, exactly. revolutionary to but, say the least. <laughs> I digress. We got off on a tangent. Yeah, we did. These people, these <laughs> people feeling, have you tripping. I had a feeling that was going to happen. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was bound to happen. Um, I want to, I want to circle on this before we move on to, to what you're doing today um you were fifth round pick in the nfl you played a handful of years there i was a uh, fourth round pick i ended up playing two seasons in the nfl i was in my third preseason when i when i hung up the cleat so i was a guy who went in there thinking i was probably going to be an eight to ten year vet who was going to have a long career and it didn't just pan out um as you were heading into the league in 2015 what was your mentality around it and as you look back on your career now that you've transitioned out, what are your thoughts? Man, I was really thinking, you know, I just finished up a great career at Nebraska and I was um, seeing myself, same thing. I was going to be a 10 year vet in the league, you know, be a great player for the Bucs. Um, and it's just funny how life plays out. It just doesn't work out that way for you. You know, I got down to Tampa my rookie year, I pulled my hamstring uh, like right before our third preseason game and lovey smith you know funny funny story i love coach smith lovey told me we were going in we were in miami and he was 
I was on the sideline. I didn't get to play because my hammy. And he looked at me, he goes, how's that hammy feeling? I was like, feels good. I think two, two, three weeks. And, you know, I'll be ready to play Carolina for week one. And he's like, nah, I think it's pretty bad. And he just like, he, uh, he pulled yeah. his mic, he pulled his mic off. He's like, no, it's really bad. And, you know, we're going to hold you out this year. Little did I know a couple weeks later, I met with him again. He's like, listen, hamstring cost me my career. So Lovey, Lovey doesn't play with Hammy, so they put me on IR my rookie year, and I came back, and they actually they let Lovey go after my rookie mm. year. Wow! Uh, they hired the the our OC. They promoted the OC, Dirk Cutter. He's actually the OC in yep. Atlanta now. Um, yep. Uh, he didn't like me very much, to say the least. Well. <laughs> uh, they got me up out of there. They fired me after the last preseason game. Baltimore picked me up, and I spent a few years, or I spent the 16th season in Baltimore on the P squad signed my futures there came back in 17 you know primed to Baltimore liked me a lot um I tore my right hamstring like tore mm. like six inches of it big old yeah it was bad so that was out I was out 10 weeks and then they brought me back that was like our first padded practice in Baltimore uh for training camp so so I was out 10 weeks and they brought me back like week six um, and I spent the rest of 17 on the P squad in Baltimore at the very end of the year, I had an opportunity to hopefully get, um, activated and they actually activated a rookie named Quincy out of Boyjo out of sure. baller. Good dude. Yep. Um, but it was like, at that point I was like, all right, these guys are looking to go younger than me. So I'm going to have to get out of here, find a new opportunity. That's when I landed in Denver, got to Denver, tore Miami again, uh, training camp and that's when I was like all right oh man yeah at that at that point when you're year three receiver uh and you're having these hamstring issues like I knew I wasn't really going to get picked up so I actually I moved to LA and I took care of my I was a caretaker for my cousin I don't know if you remember I used to write T Hogue on my uh yep. forearms that's my cousin his name's Tyler Hogue he's a quadriplegic from a oh, accident wow. he had while I was in school but I moved to LA and I lived with him and was his caretaker while he was at USC uh, graduating from the film school there. And I was wow. just training and getting ready for the Alliance of American football that started up that went bankrupt, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was crazy. That um, is wild. Man, that was wild. JP, I would, I got some stories for you about just that training camp. Yeah, all we'll that. talk about those. Yeah. We'll rap about that. Um, but yeah, man, as far as the league goes, it was, it was, it was just such a roller coaster ride that I never like it made me lose lose faith and love in the game, you know, and it yep. wasn't that that uh just getting beat up and like grinding and getting your hopes up so much every year and then just having it all taken away really did like a mental number on me any more than anything else, you know. Like I know the physical thing with football is always gonna be tough. Your body's gonna hurt, but like to work yourself up into that mentality and compete so hard for so many years and it never you know really pan out was probably the hard it's still probably hard, the hardest pill to swallow right because yeah. forever I'm gonna forever I'm gonna wonder what it was like to play on a Sunday because I, I put in all that work but right, right. at the same time like my journey uh the light the lessons that I learned I think are more impactful in my life right now than they would have been had everything just been you know smooth as gravy and you know gotten to play that whole time so I try and I try and look at the bright side of things it's so interesting hearing you tell that because I feel like a lot of that resonates with my journey in the NFL and that you know I was active my rookie year and I was active my second year um, for most of the time but um, I got similar to you you know injuries because I had a few concussions I sustained when I was playing in the league and then transition I played on a four and 12 team coaches got fired, new coaching staff came in. I was playing at, so you'll, you'll love this. I was playing at 255 my rookie year at um, inside linebacker. We were switching to a hybrid uh, four, three defense. They wanted a, uh, you know, they, they liked a, a slimmer body type. So I went all the way through OTAs. They never told me this. And as I'm leaving to go back home for that little break before training camp is about six weeks. I get my letters saying what weight they want me to come back at. It was 255. They said I needed to come back to training camp at 235. So I had six weeks to lose 20 They told pounds. you that as you were leaving? 
Yeah, because they wanted to cut me. They they wanted to make. I was gonna it say I'm me. not trying to be. They, I try to be rude, bro, but they're trying to get rid of you. Yeah, they they absolutely were, and I realized yeah. that. But I I did all the things I needed to do. I lost 20 pounds in six weeks, so I'd come back to training camp and not give them a reason to cut me right off the bat. And I ended up uh, with an injury at the end of the preseason, so um, you know they they waived me injured, and I signed a settlement, and I was able to sign with another team. Um, so I went to Indianapolis, and I played there for that year, and I actually ended off that year on P squad and I signed my futures that whole coaching staff got fired um after I had signed my futures contract which I'm like but anyway yeah um, you're on the phone with so, agent saying like damn yeah I know like what are, what can we do um but I I ended up getting cut that that offseason too and it was a similar situation I got to Indy at 235 Indy wanted me to play at 260 of course and the new coaching staff comes in and they're like no nah, we need you at about like 240 and I was like okay so I, I just – I wasn't the guy that they wanted. I understood that. And at least they cut me um, with some time for me to figure out a situation heading into that next season. Um, then I got to Seattle. Injuries got me. And, and so when I look back, I'm like you. I'm thankful because of the lessons I learned. And, um, you know, I had to deal with a lot of things not being in my control, which is very tough. And I feel like right. as athletes, we want to control as many aspects as possible. But if I'm being honest, there's a lot of bitterness when I look back at that portion of my life too, because of what you said, you do everything that somebody asks you to do and it's still not good enough. That sucks. You, you have a vision of what you want your career to be and you don't achieve that vision in a situation where most of the time you've been able to achieve the things that you've been purpose driven and visionary about that really sucks. Um, and so like I'm, I'm sitting here a few years later and I'm still reconciling with the bitterness and, and the mental toll that I experienced, but it's, it's taxing um, when I do that. So I have to try to compartmentalize and it's something that I'll deal with and continue to think about moving forward. But um, I appreciate your honesty and sharing that part of your journey, because I feel like not enough guys do it when they get out, you know, everybody's patting them on the back and it's great. Yeah. You became a pro, but there, I mean, there's some legitimate, there's legitimate baggage, I guess, that you carry around after you're done playing the game. Oh, I think I think there's more guys out there dealing with you and like our situation than there is that guys that you know make it to the top level and just play on every Sunday. You know what I mean? It's a grind out there. It's a it, it really is. I mean, I think the hardest part about it, like looking back, is you and I both know there's more than one thousand six hundred and ninety six guys that can play in the NFL, right? Like that's how many active yeah. guys there are. On a, at any given moment on 32 times or 32 teams, 1696. Like uh, you'd be very naive to think that there is not 1700 guys in this country that could fill rosters. So that's why I like to see stuff like the AAF and the XFL, you know, give guys kind of a second chance. If the NFL, in my opinion, if the NFL was smart, they would, their OTAs, that kind of stuff would be spring football where, the, like their futures players, guys that they need to develop, that they play games against other uh, organizations, same exact thing. Because then you eliminate, you know, you're cutting, you're cutting a guy just because, you know, roster spots, right? You know, right. Well, you and then the other thing that brings up those guys. Well, and it's the development, but for the guys too, there's an opportunity for um, for the pro scouts to get a look at you in a different setting. Yeah. Because the hardest thing, I think, for a lot of guys who are um, bottom end roster guys, P squad caliber guys, guys who sign futures or guys who are, um, you know, aging veterans is you go through all the work during OTAs and nobody on the outside gets to see it. And they get to see a snippet of you during training camp, whether it's in a scrimmage setting or whether it's yeah, in a preseason game. But those yeah. are so watered down. Um, and so the ability, I think, for for you to have that as much exposure as possible, another organization will see you. And if you get cut, it's just more opportunities for somebody to want to pick you up. Yep. Um, so we'll transition out of that now. We'll talk about what you're doing. Obviously, we, you know, met each other uh, contributing with BTN, which I think is just a fantastic thing, covering football in the conference that we both played in and we have a lot of respect for. What else is going on in your world? Yeah, besides, you know, chasing that BTN dream, I, I, I really enjoyed working with Big Ten Network while I was in school um, and now getting on that back end of my football career now that that's over, uh, really trying to transition into, you know, the kind of analyst work and calling games. I think that'd be uh, something that I'd really enjoy, something that I've always wanted to do. 
Uh, but other than that, I, I got a day job at a company called NCR. It's called National Cash Register. I work in hospitality, small, medium business. I sell a point of sale system and merchant services. So honestly, I go into restaurants, pull doors, introduce myself, tell them I'm with NCR and find pain points within their restaurant and then provide solutions for them. It's pretty good. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I, mean, uh, I get to interact with people. So I love it. It's, it's so funny. I see a lot of former football players uh, get out of ball and they go into sales roles because of the personality, yeah. which I think when you're in a locker room, you learn how to connect with different people from different backgrounds with different likes and dislikes. Right. Um, and you do it on a high level, but number two, man, you eat what you kill, you know, like you go out there. You, yeah. You know, you yeah. like, listen, I can, I can go out and I can make, you know, $5,000. If I, if I don't feel like working as much, I could go out and I can make $20,000 in a month if you feel like really grinding. And that's something that I think appeals. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's really interesting, man. I, I, when I talk to guys who I used to play with, you know, what are you doing? I'm selling insurance. I'm selling payroll. I'm selling real estate. I'm selling yeah. medical devices, like all that kind of stuff. I feel like as, as much as we are very unique people, there are so many things about us that kind of just fall in line. It's so crazy. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think it goes back to that foundation as to what we learned, you know, from the game, you know, that, that dedication, hard work and compete, compete, yeah. compete. For real. I mean, it's, it's obscure too. When you talk about that competition, like I know guys who played at Ohio state, one guy has his own company selling water another guy sells custom suits. So it's like the anywhere you can find that competitive edge and something that you're passionate about is what we see guys jump into. Um, outside of your professional life, what are your passions? Like, what are you doing right now that's stimulating your mind and your soul outside of what you're doing professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, one, I, I golf. So golfing is, um, uh, taken replaced or has replaced football in terms of like that competitive edge for me uh it's something that I really want to progress in and start to compete more in uh it's something I that I've really picked up this past year well I mean I've played my whole life but last summer I tore my quadricep tendon for my kneecap so I didn't get to play for a whole year um th this That's summer, rough. yeah it was terrible bro it was by far the worst injury I've ever had um Jeez. But other than that, I actually invested recently in a gaming studio called Frozen Sailor Studios. Um, and I'm in the midst of developing our first game. And with our game, it'll be all encompassing with a manga and an anime that I'll voice act for as well. So nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, you got some stuff going on, man. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, um, I'm struggling. <laughs> no, it's, it's the way to be, man. I've got, I'm, I'm similar to you. I've got a day job and I'm doing the BTN thing, but I've got a couple of passion projects, including this podcast and um, some other new media type stuff that I'm really trying to develop. And there, I, you know, it's, it's probably unhealthy to a certain point, but it's, you're, you're filling a void of what you used to have in a former life in a way that you used to live. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of insatiable. Like hopefully at, at some point I'll be able to settle my ass down. Yeah. Just relax. be a little bit more, be a little more normal, but I can't do yeah. it. Right <laughs> Not right now though, man. I feel no. you. Like it's literally what can, what connection can I make? Who can I network with? What can I do next? It's, I mean, it's, I, it may be that, you know, it's funny you say that I haven't thought of it in terms of like my brain and just who I am transitioning away from football, but still needing to find, you know, that edge I think yeah. that I you know I hadn't reflected on it like that that's a that's a great point no I mean I think that's what it is for me is just you know like I, it's got to be something you know like this is a terrible story but um my fiance has a six-year-old sister and the sister is actually turning four today and the six-year-old always wants to play board games and I play board games as hard as I can against yeah, her to win yes <laughs> And um, it, it's almost to a point where it torments her. But this is something interesting I realized is I could beat her ass in a game of sorry. And she will want to play me 20 more times until yeah. she wins the game. Um, and so, like, it's first off, being a kid, like, you just – your worldview is so different. But um, it's fun watching a little competitor come up in the world, too, because, like, I, I definitely resonate with that because I was that same kid Absolutely. when I was little. Yeah, I've got a I've got a younger sister that is uh, actually one of the best goalies in uh, in high school soccer here in Colorado, and my favorite thing to do right now is go watch her play because she's yeah. a competitor, man, and just nothing nothing fires me up like competing. And I know you're the same way, JP. Like, there's just nothing better than 
competition in my mind. I, I love it, man. I live for it. No, it brings out the best. I'll, uh, I'll get you out of here on this question. You've been rocking that Afro for a long time. I have. Is there a story behind it? No, man, I can't say if there's really a story behind it. When I was growing up, I was always bald. Like my mom would shave my head bald. And I had big old ears. I remember that, that photo. Oh, man. <laughs> I had, that BTM put out there. <laughs> woo! I had satellites. I still have them. Um, but really, yeah, one time, <laughs> one time at football camp, this is how big my ears were. Uh, people were all like, all the kids were yelling and stuff and everything had quieted down for a second. I was like, hey, be quiet. And my, my, my boy next to me, he's like, KB's ears are so big, he can hear you guys' thoughts. And <laughs> oh, the whole camp was laughing at me, bro. And at that point, uh, I was like, I got to, you know, I got to do something about these. But no, it was probably my, my senior year where I just started growing my hair in high school uh, or, excuse me, my junior year. And then I cut it right before my senior year, and then I let it just grow again. And since then, you know, just been rocking with it. No, I, I can appreciate it. I got the baby fro going right now, man. I got. I like uh, your style, bro. Yeah, you know, I'm just unapologetically going to be me, and I'm going to appreciate it for what it is. Um, and so I, I can, I can see because it's, you know, like folks probably talk about it, and you know, it's it's not something that people are used to, and you'll even get the comments, and um, I've had them before because I've been a guy who had um, cornrows and dreadlocks that you know it's not necessarily professional or you know, I didn't expect you to be like that. And it's like, why? Because I have long hair, whatever the case is. Um, but you've been rocking it for years, man. And uh, yeah, I feel like it's, it's definitely, it doesn't define you, but it's definitely a part of you. Yeah, definitely. It, it's, uh, I, I get it trimmed every now and then, but I really couldn't imagine cutting my hair at this point. It's uh, definitely, it's definitely become a part of me without a doubt. No, that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you joining us. We got my guy, Kenny Bell stopped by today, spent some good time, heard a lot about his football career, really talked about some deeper things too, what drives him, the competitive spirit, the impact of the program that he was a part of on his life and just uh, sharing some good laughs as well. So appreciate you stopping through. Appreciate you having me, JP, man. Definitely. Wow, that was an awesome interview from my guy, Kenny Bell. Um, I'm gonna definitely have him back on the show um, just the insight that he provides, the energy, the juice, the great stories. I think we need some more of that. So uh, I wanted to end you guys off with my word of the week, and that word is generosity. So define generosity as the quality of being kind and generous. I'm like, okay, so let's dig deeper into that. Generous is showing a readiness to give more of something as money or time than usually expected. Kind is friendly and considerate. So I want to think about this. I think our world needs a little bit more generosity. I think, honestly, I need to do uh, more generous things. Um, it's showing a readiness. So when you're ready to do something, obviously you have to get yourself there. So that tells me that uh, generosity is a choice. It's a process. Um, you don't just become generous. That's an intentional process uh, to become ready to give more of something. So that's something in the definition here is money, which is hard for a lot of people to part with. And you can ask, uh, my, my family, my friends, my fiance, um, I am tight with money. It's hard for me to part with or your time. And time is even more precious than money. In my opinion, I always say, you know, if I lose $5,000, I'll find a way to get that back. You can't, you can't lose 50 minutes. It's hard to, to ever find 50 minutes back because our time here is limited. Um, and so you have to be ready again, the intentional process of, of getting to a point. And then you have to part with two things, uh, in, in this scenario money or time that are valuable to us. Probably two of the most valuable things outside of personal relationships that exist in this world. And it is, it's based off of an expectation. So uh, when you show up to a fundraiser, I think there's an expectation when you, know, you, you buy the $50 ticket for the, for the meal that you'll probably spend you know, another $50 while you're there. When we're talking generosity, it's the person that cuts a $1,000 check. And I know we're not all in a position to do that. So on the flip side of that, the, the, again, the $50 plate gets you in the room. The generosity is, hey, I'm going to devote my next four or five weekends to whatever cause I'm here for. That's more than expected, right? So that's how we get generous. In our personal lives, it is time spent with loved ones that can be generous. You know, like I, I think about this. I don't do a good enough job. I don't spend enough time probably with my parents. You know, their expectations of my time right now are, you know, a few hours a week, maybe, 
maybe. And I think I can give more of that. I think I can be more generous in spending time with my family. I live also by uh, generosity in some of my uh, charitable giving. And really, it's my time and my, my talents and some of my treasures with my Joshua Perry Family Foundation. We spend a lot of time uh, trying to improve the lives of kindergarten through eighth graders uh, throughout central Ohio, and it's a big deal. But I want to I wanna press everybody to become intentional about being generous. I want your generosity to grow as we head into the end of this year and into next year. I want you to prepare yourselves. I want you to be ready to be generous. I want you, whether that's uh, devoting money out of your budget, an intentional uh, devotion of uh, a portion of your earnings to a cause, or whether that's your time uh, on the weekends or weeknights, whenever you're not busy and whenever you're not working, uh, to folks who are less fortunate or a cause that you feel is worthy, I think it's a big deal. And the more that we all become generous, I think the more the expectations change around generosity, which fuels us to become even more generous. And it just starts this cycle of people helping people and, and, and money being spent on great causes and time being spent on awesome causes that in turn turns this world into a better place. And we sit there and we look at all the negative stories and we get the headlines and I get it. It's an election year. Everything's very contentious. We've had all the social issues, et cetera. But out of this, I think there has been a great level of generosity that's been born too. We're looking at a COVID society. We saw people come in together to get free hand sanitizer, free masks, deliver meals, all kinds of different things, chip in to pay people's rent when they lost jobs. That is generosity and that's extreme generosity. And that's what I want people to start considering for their lives because it changes you for the better. And even though you don't do it to get something back, it actually, it 100% comes back to you tenfold in the universe because the universe loves generosity. So I want to end you off with that folks. I'm urging you to make that a part of the way that you live. All right, folks, this is the Joshua Perry show. I want to thank my all-star producer, Andrew Zoldan, Nazidia Network. Uh, great job as always out of him. Looking forward to next week. I am your host, Joshua Perry, and this is The Joshua Perry Show.